Fertilizer is always a hot topic of debate, whether you're a conventional or an organic farmer, and especially in recent months where the price of chemical fertilizer has tripled, it's been a very, very sensitive issue and a lot of people have been talking about it. And even on my own farm here, grass growth has been very, very slow. So in that context of everyone and all farmers looking at how they can give their grass or their tillage that extra little boost, we have decided to speak to Julian Beatty, who is the CEO of NovaQ for Organic Matters this week, brought to you, of course, by the Irish Organic Association. Now, Julian's company specialises in providing solutions in terms of fertiliser and bringing nutrients to the ground. And here to talk about it a little bit more is Julian himself. We're environmental sustainability specialists. Um, by specialists, that means that's our, our, the focus of, of what we do. Uh, all the areas in which we operate, water, agriculture, aquaculture and renewable energy, um, there, there, there would be an environmental sustainability angle on all of those. So in terms of agriculture, everything for us starts with the soil. Uh, the the main our main reason our main reason for being most of the products we 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 work with are all uh, either to do with bacteria products for improving the soil biology uh, for in, increasing the organic matter within the soil and increasing the functionality the functional properties of the soil um, and then we have a, a wide range both organic and conventional of of foliar feed and nutrient products which are there really to plug the gaps um, for what's not already being provided in the soil. So I, I guess because I hear that a lot, uh, we know to, especially talking to organic farmers, is that it's all about the soil and, and it's all about what's growing up under the soil as opposed to what's going on, uh, on top of the soil sometimes as well. But I mean, so if I were to come to you, for example, and I had... 20 acres there and maybe I thought something needed to, needed to be done with it I mean how would you go about improving the soil or testing the soil or treating the soil you yeah, know, because the, just just to try to visualize what do you actually do is it a substance that you're putting on it or, or what is it well it's it starts with a soil analysis uh, so we would we would recommend taking soil samples. We would generally recommend doing a lot more analysis than, uh, say, a derogation or you know what p people are, are used to used to testing their their NPK and pH, uh, and work out how much lime they have to put on and go from there. So we like to have a look at the mineral content of the soil as well. So both macro and micronutrients. Um, we have a look at how how they may conflict with each other. So in, in Ireland, soils tend to be either high in magnesium or high in manganese. So whichever they're high in, they tend to be low in the other. And both are essential for, for growing crops. Um, I had a good example today working with somebody who's got really high magnesium in their soils, which means nothing grows properly. Um, but we know that magnesium and calcium are are both antagonists are antagonists and by adding an available calcium with fertilizer onto the soil means that it unlocks all the other things that are being locked up by the magnesium in the soil so it's understanding those interactions that are there uh, so so that that would be that's the first thing so once you know where the soil is you have a fair idea where you want to get the soil to. Um, in most cases with organic farming, there's really good practices in terms of 
uh, putting on compost and manures and, and so on to try and improve the organic matter in the soil. And in an ideal world with, with soil and organic matter, uh, for organic farming, there, there's, you know, within quite a short period of time, they're in a position where the soil biology is naturally very good anyway. And all of these products are approved for use for organic farmers, because that is obviously can be an issue sometimes in terms of trying to bring up your levels to be just right for growth, optimum growth in an organic farm, because you have a limited supply of what you can actually get. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we, all the products we have are, are certified through the IOA. Um, and they, uh, but they're, they're, I think with organic systems, as as the soil improves, there is less and less requirement for putting anything into it. So I think particularly our bacteria products are most interesting for people who are in conversion or just coming out of conversion or who might have a bit of land that's not necessarily as productive as, as their, their main body of land. When the, when the soil is good and the land is good, it's not that adding bacteria is not a value, it's just that that margin of value doesn't justify the cost of, of, of doing so. So it's, um, you know, it's part of a part of a program over a period of time and, it, and it's not it's not uh, indefinite. Uh, it might become, you know, it might start off once a year, then it might become once every two or three years, um, particularly for organic systems. For conventional, it's different because uh, there they damage the soils. <laughs> Um, I guess you're the managing director, but you're also the founder of NovaQ. So what gave you the idea to start it in the first place? Um, oh, that's a that's a question I haven't been asked in a long time. Um, yeah, I, I just always wanted to work for myself. I and, and I was involved in the chemical industry for many years. Uh, I'm a commercial person and uh, environment was was always important to me. Innovation was always important to me. Once we set up NovaQ, it, it, we quickly got involved in, in bacteria products, first for wastewater, then for agriculture. Uh, it wasn't very easy being a, a Dublin person trying to sell products into agriculture, as most of the farmers are kind of going, we're not going to let that Jackeen sell us anything. <laughs> um, but that that uh, over time now, I've had great people working with me uh, in agriculture and uh, you know, it's it's um, and working with the IOA have been been great support as well. Uh, and um, yeah, over, over the years, some of the things we've been doing, focusing on the soil and soil biology, we were laughed at in 2011, 2012, 13, when we were starting this. Um, nobody wanted to know about it. Now, fertilizer prices where they are suddenly everything's all about the soil the soil the soil the soil and uh yeah i don't know whether we, we were just a bit bit early for it and now it's now it's the kind of the big buzz thing uh it's 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 becoming quite interesting for agriculture and it and it's such a a pleasure to see how the organic sector is now being recognized for what it should be you know go, going forward you know this desire in europe to get to 25 percent organic land use across Europe is 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 amazing and huge credit to the IOA. I was working with Gillian a little bit on that and uh, it's just been fantastic to see how, how that's grown and we look forward to seeing it into fruition in Ireland. You were talking kind of about growth there and talking about fertilizer prices as well. I'm wondering, do you just have organic farmers coming to you or do you have conventional farmers interested or has there been a surge in conventional since fertilizer prices have increased? Yeah, we, we'd be we'd be certainly dealing more with conventional farmers than organic farmers. That's that's 
that's natural. Um, there, there's not enough organic farmers in Ireland to to justify that that sole focus. Um, but there's no doubt that the conventional farmers are now looking at some of the practices that would have been more aligned with organic farming, uh, and and what's matter what what's happening inside the soil matters much more to them now, and they recognise the value of that. It'll be very interesting to see over the next few years how the measurement of carbon in the soil is also reflected in Irish agriculture. Uh, I, I think, it, I hope um, that it's not negative for all of those who've taken the leap early and dramatically improved their soil organic carbon, uh, that I hope they don't get penalised going forward by, you know, by, by uh, somebody setting a benchmark in 2023 of where your carbon is and giving you benefits for improving it from there. Uh, I hope it reflects the people who've been the real innovators in this space. And that, that particularly reflects to the existing organic farmers. Yeah, and um, something that we're all kind of conscious of as well is I guess our emissions target in agriculture, they're going to be oh, up to uh, 30%. We have to reduce emissions by, uh, by 2030 from the agriculture sector. And you know this is, something that's kind of discussed on your website again you know getting to net zero and the environmental sustainability around it so do you think your product can help with that is that is that something that's part of the end goal as well here yeah there's two two big aspects that we work on in terms of emissions in agriculture um one of those is is in slurry treatments where the, the using biology properly within slurry will reduce the the, the greenhouse gas emissions from slurry uh, but we're also very involved in anaerobic digestion and uh, upgrading biogas produced in anaerobic digesters into biomethane which can then be used in transport as as a renewable biofuel uh, it's it's the only real alternative for heavy goods vehicle to to uh, diesel um, all of those things matter in terms of helping agriculture get to to beyond net zero uh, I, th I think as well we have to help farmers recognize the value that they have within their slurry as a fertilizer and within the potential of anaerobic digestion to produce organic fertilizers as well uh, with, with, with digestate to be spread on the land. Uh, we, we also recognize within the anaerobic digestion that we need to capture the CO2 from the anaerobic digestion process and use that as a product to, to replace the CO2 that cur currently comes from the chemical fertilizer production industry. Okay, so I, there's, I, I... there's a lot of areas. I'll ask you, I'm going to ask you a slightly awkward question. So I am a suckler farmer and we have spread slurry today with low emission slurry spreading. And I think that I am the bee's knees for making that effort to use low emission slurry spread spreading um, technology. But do you kind of see um, that all farmers will have to add something to treat their slurry? Are you saying that we can add something to it to tinker with the biology to help reduce emissions even more? And most importantly, the cost element. Um, say, say if I pay my contractor, I don't know, 500 euro today for spreading, oh, what's he spreading? 10,000 gallons or something like that. Um, how much more than the 500 am I going to have to pay to add that biology fixing tool to it? I, I think the question is, is, is is going to it's going to be slightly different it's what can i add 
to my slurry that's going to give me more out of my slurry. So in capital yeah. slurry, what are you? Everything you smell is 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 you losing money. Okay. So that that you know the, the the main things that you smell with cattle slurry are sulfur and nitrogen. Uh, so that's your your H2S and your slurry gas and your ammonia coming off. That's that's basically what what you're what you're wasting. So with a, with a good slurry treatment, you're not number one. You're not going to smell anything, which means that those nutrients are staying within the slurry. Uh, by using a good slurry additive, and there are some good slurry additives, and there are some not so good slurry additives. Uh, using a good slurry additive, um, like our bacteria and enzyme. Uh, product will solubilize the solids that are within that slurry, which means also that when it goes to the ground, it's not staying on top where it's always giving off emissions. Uh, now, obviously, you're, if you're using a trailing shoe, you eliminate that problem anyway. Uh, but trailing shoes working with um, untreated cattle slurry, you've probably got done a day or two's agitation before you're able to get it through the trailing shoe in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, we were with a big farmer there quite recently who's got a, uh, you know, certainly over six or 700 head of cattle. So the slurry from that, it's a big, big tank. And after 40 minutes of agitating, we were saying, why are you still agitating this? And he kind of looked at me and said, I actually don't know because it just wasn't necessary. So there's a big reduction there in, in the cost of agitation. Uh, it delivers a better product into the field. And also you're putting more bacteria that you've got in the slurry, you're putting that into the field as well. Uh, and that's going to have capacity for things like solubilizing phosphorus, solubilizing potassium, fixing nitrogen within the soil. All of those functionalities are within the slurry additive products that we have. How far away are we from this becoming commonplace? How far away are we for, for like to me walking into a co-op and just seeing this for sale, like say, I don't know, cattle feed or something that's like that? Yeah, I mean that's our biggest challenge in organic farming. It's 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 a ready-to-use bottle product. Uh, doing it that way is more expensive. Our ideal way to do it is using um, bioreactor grow tanks because the, the there's a complex relationship between bacteria and enzymes and the capacity to break down the solids in slurry. Uh, it's so much more powerful if you actually make this up. Uh, and, and produce those enzymes, which unfortunately at the moment is not it's not yet available for for the organic sector. But the organic the ready to use organic products are still they will still do do that job. Um, but there's less in, in organic. It's more about manure um, than it is the, the slurry tanks. So with with the the manure, uh, there's still bacteria products that that go onto that that will help break it down re really well, really well. But uh, if we're a long way. You're, sorry, your question is: How soon are we from people going yeah. in and being able to buy it? Yeah, there's they they can they can do that now. Um, I think them wanting to do it is still still quite a long way away. Uh, I, I even though fertilizer and everything has become really expensive, I think we're a long way from farmers. I haven't seen much evidence of farmers looking at their slurry as a valuable product. Uh, I still think they kind of look at it too much as something that they need to deal with, something that they need to get out there because it's it's a, a, a an annoying byproduct as opposed to something that's a really really valuable source of nutrient for the crops. 
Um, taking a step back for a moment, you mentioned anaerobic digesters and you mentioned the digestate as well. I mean, I know UK farmers who use digestate, I mean, it has a higher fertilizer effect, essentially. Um, but we have a tiny, I mean, it's a minuscule anaerobic digestion sector in Ireland. So are there considerable challenges there as well? Yeah, the, 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 the challenges around regulation uh, it takes two years plus to get an, an anaerobic digester approved in Ireland and everybody opposes them. Uh, I, it's for me, for I, I'm very biased, uh, I'll admit that freely, um, but for heavy goods transport is, is the best example for me where there is no other renewable alternative to biogas for heavy goods transport. Um, everyone talks about hydrogen, but hydrogen is donkey's years away. And it's also really expensive to produce in terms of energy. And it's really expensive to transport in terms of energy. While biogas is a direct replacement for natural gas. Uh, ele electricity for heavy goods vehicles, you can forget it. You know, you can have an electric 40, 40 ton truck, but it's not going to be a 40 ton truck. It's going to be a 50 ton truck and it's going to have a range of about 100 kilometers. So, that you know, it's not practical with bio LNG. You can have a range of, I don't know, I think I heard 1100 kilometers, 1200 kilometers, that kind of range with with, with a biofuel. Uh, and a biofuel is derived from waste in that case. It's not carbon positive, it's carbon negative. You're actually taking carbon away in, in net effect because you're doing something that at the moment can only be done by diesel or petrol. So what needs to be done to, what needs to be done essentially and who needs to do it? Is it, is it, is it the farming sector that needs to kind of pull up its socks and say, okay, we actually need to look at using our slurry more capably or is it also the government and maybe the Department of Agriculture looking at easing the rules or simplifying the rules around anaerobic digestion? You know, who, who, what, what needs to be done to see this actually succeed? Well, I, I, I had a, a, um, a builder of anaerobic digestion plants from Germany here a few weeks ago, and we were talking about how did Germany build so many AD plants at, at, at the time, because there's 10,000 AD plants in Germany. Now, they, they didn't do everything right, but they, they built an AD industry very quickly. And the way they did it was that for on-farm anaerobic digestion, they allowed the approval of a certain template of AD plant. And once the farmers were putting a planning application in based on one of those templates, the local authorities were obliged to respond within three months. Uh, if you were able to cut down the planning process to make it that easy to build an agricultural AD plant uh, and, and you, you know, set, set it up that well, I think AD would be would be used very quickly. The, the other thing that needs to happen is we need to get clarity on the market. So every time we think that something's that we're getting a bit of clarity on the anaerobic digestion market, then rumor comes out that there might be a new government support coming around the corner and everybody suddenly takes a step back and says, well, I'm not going to do it until I get this new government support. So we, we need to get clarity. The, that clarity needs to be long term. So we need to have you know, we're now at 2022, we need to have clarity out to 2030, what people are going to get for as a minimum for the gas that comes out of their biogas plant. There's huge supports 
um, from the likes of gas networks who are very keen to get biogas into their system. So, you know, GNI are people that everybody should talk to. And, you know, whether it's for gas injection into the grid or, or you know, whether if you're lucky enough to be beside the grid um, or whether it's for gas transport, you know, get, get a number of farmers together, get a cooperative together, make a, an anaerobic digestion plant that's commercially of a reasonable scale uh, and yeah, the sooner the better, as far as I'm concerned. That was, of course, Julian Beatty there speaking to me for Organic Matters, the podcast brought to you by the Irish Organic Association. And if you want to find out more about Julian's work, you can head over to their website, NovaQ. But also, if you want to find out more about the Irish Organic Association, do please visit www.irishorganicassociation.ie and make sure to subscribe to the podcast and it will arrive into your podcast server of choice every single week. But for now, I've been Hannah Quinn Mulligan and thank you very much for listening.